You ever think about your future? When we say future, most of us capture this thought of, you're not talking about what I'm going to do this afternoon. It's about what am I going to do in, in the next year? What am I going to do in the next few years? When we talk about thinking about future, many times our mind goes to investments. We think about retirement. Now, some of us are already there. Kathy testified where Mike and Kathy are right now, just starting this next chapter of their life called retirement from daily responsibility of employment. And when we have these thoughts <clears throat> about future and we think about retirement, and those of you that are 20s and 30s or whatever, and you're like, you know, I don't know, I'll get there one day. And those of us that are 60-something are like, it's going to be tomorrow. And we start asking ourselves a little bit more seriously, am I investing correctly? And those that are in retirement years, you're like, I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I invested wisely enough. Can I hear an amen? <clears throat> I'm going to change the word now from future to eternity. Do you ever think about your eternity? Because you see, the same principles that apply to us in responsibility of life that says, okay, I, ha I need to be thinking about years that if I live long enough and I'm not getting a weekly check or a bi-weekly check, have I invested wisely? Will I have enough to keep me through those years? Will I be able to pay for medications, whatever they cost at that time, and, and all those thoughts? Well, what about eternity? Are we thinking about eternity. The reality is we're already in eternity, but we usually use that term talking about once we die. And now if we'll take the same principles, am I investing wisely now for my eternity? Am I even giving it a thought? Because you see, whatever eternity is, it's a whole lot longer than the years when we talk about future and investments. Because at best, we may be thinking of some decades of responsibility of investments for this life, but what about eternity that never, ever, ever ceases? Would you stand with me? I want you to look at two different scriptures. You can go to Hebrews chapter 9, stick your finger there, and then go on over to Matthew 16. We'll read Matthew 16 first. Matthew chapter 16. I want to read verses 24 through 27. In your printed Bibles, you'll see that it's written in red. So Jesus is saying to us, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. How many says... That's hard to do. And take up your cross and follow me. We think about that cross, but denying self is a whole lot harder than carrying the cross. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, that's honest. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life, they'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Look at the investments there. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man? See, he's been talking about investment all along. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And then look at this. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come. Oh, is that what we've been talking about all the time? For the Son of Man is going to come. How many knows that today? How many believes that today? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then, turn to somebody and say, and then. In other words, I said all that, say this. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Man, usually when we get to this passage, we talk about taking up the cross and following him. We never listen to the rest of what he was saying in the context of what he was saying. He's coming again. And apparently he's a pretty good accountant. Actually, he's an excellent accountant. And he's keeping record of what we're doing and how we're investing. Oh, my. So now, where you had your finger, go to Matthew chapter 9. Just one verse. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the straightforwardness of it, and the grace that prepares us for these things that are yet ahead. Let us have wisdom to listen to what you've already instructed us to do and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated in person and here, turn to somebody and say, this is going to be good. <laughs> Judgment. See, if we had put that word up first, it would have scared you to death. And yet, it needs to get our attention, doesn't it? Every one of us is going to be judged. Every single one of us. Those of you that are streaming right now, you're not exempt. You're going to get judged. Every one of us will be judged. There's an appointment out there that's got our name attached to it. I've pastored long enough to do funerals from infants to those up around the century mark. And every one of them had one thing in common. There was an appointment. And after the appointment, then comes the judgment. And Jesus, again, telling us how to live through this life successfully, and that's by denying ourselves, taking up a cross and following him. He's reminding us, because I'm coming back, and when I do, each one will give an account for what they have done. So it's every day that's before us. Ecclesiastes 12 and 14, Solomon put these words down, and he said, every deed will be judged. The secret things included. How many have secret things in their life? Don't lift your hands. Because <laughs> some of you got secrets from the person sitting next to you. 
and the other things that you wrestle with. Because a lot of the secret things are secret because we're not so sure if we need to be doing them. However, we will give an account for even the secret thing. Does that get a hold of you this morning? Does that get your attention? Does it scare the bejeebers out of you? Everything will be judged, whether good or bad. So it's not just the bad things. Every good thing will also be judged. Jesus put it this way. We have it in Luke chapter 8, verse 17. He said, the hidden things will be made manifest. You ever try to keep a secret from other people you work with and then somebody's got a big mouth and has to tell everybody else? Everything will be made manifest that's hidden. Even the secret things will be brought to light. Spotlights. <laughs> and so here's what the scriptures tell us. Ahead of each one of us and everybody that's ever lived on this planet or will live on this planet, there are two groupings, two major judgments. We're going to be at one of the two. One is known as the great white throne judgment. That is for the unbelievers. The other one is the judgment seat of Christ. That's for the believers. We're all going to meet that judgment. Every single one of us, one of the two. There's no confusion here. These are the two judgments. We will all be judged. Now, there's a judging that goes on constantly in life, and yet when it comes to the finishing of this present life, we will give an account. The hidden things, the secret things, all will be made manifest at one of these two judgments. The first one is the white throne judgment for unbelievers. It's different than what we think of in a courtroom today. It will be so different because you see, those that go to the great white throne judgment, there will be no jury there. It will not be a jury trial. The information will not be given to these that have your future in their hands and, and they will come together and, and discuss what they found out and make a judge. No, there will be no jury. There'll be no defense attorney standing next to you. There will be no appeal, and there is no possibility of acquittal. It's final. Each person at that judgment will stand before God Himself and be judged by themselves. You won't have your spouse, you won't have your children, you won't have your best friend. You won't have your pastor. You won't have your school teacher. You won't have anybody next to you. It's imano imano, standing before God. That's the great white throne judgment. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. This is for the believers. And this is the passage where now I mean, we hear this next statement referring to a lot of other things. But this is actually where we find out every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The privilege that we know is this, that those that are at the judgment seat of Christ 
will never have to worry about the great white throne judgment. If you are at the judgment seat of Christ, you don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, will I be kind of on the border and I'll have to be kicked back and start all over? Maybe I'll go to the, no. This is for the believers. The scriptures go on and tells us that actually there's an evaluation. 1 Corinthians chapter, 13, uh, chapter 3, verse 11 tells us that there we will be judged again according to what we have done. And this is the passage of scripture now that manifests the quality in which we do things. Because it is there that we're given a visual that either the things we've done will be seen as gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. Because what they have in common, everything we do, all our deeds will be judged with fire. And that which is wood, hay, and stubble will be incinerated. It cannot withstand the judgment. It'll be lost. And this is again why the scripture says there that the work may be lost, but not the soul. Again, don't take it out of context. Keep it in the context. Those who are at the judgment seat of Christ are believers. They've already left this life, and they are being judged for what they did in this life. Everybody understand? So that's why it says at that point, the soul won't be lost because it's already redeemed. So we're back to the reality of what does it really mean? Gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay and stubble. It's pretty simple. Every day we have the privilege of doing things that are golden or that of silver, precious stones or wood, hay and stubble. Right now, this very day, we have the opportunity to have things come our way, people come our way, opportunities come our way that will fall into one of these categories. What's the difference? The Bible tells us that our steps are ordered by the Lord. How many knows God's giving us opportunity every day? There are people passing by us every day. In the moment, God doesn't just say, pay close attention right now. I'm going to use you. It's just that we go through life. However, it'll be judged Maybe, just maybe, somebody's passing our way that God instructed their steps to come into our path. And it may be the words of life that come out of us that redirects that person and gives them hope and strength for the day. But if we just jump on to the rest of the gossip and the nasty stuff going on, all we're doing is diminishing the opportunity for that person to have a redirect. Guess who's going to get judged in the future about that event? Us. Who were given opportunity that, again, wasn't fanfare, wasn't billboard, wasn't light streaming in the air saying, here's, here's a great opportunity coming up. Do you want it to be golden in the future or you just want it to be lost? This is the perspective that he gives us. Every day. Eventually, whether we have 10 years upon this planet or 100 years on this planet, it will all come together in that judgment seat of Christ. All these things will be measured. And over here, these are the things that we did because God was giving us opportunity and we were obedient to his will. These other things over here is we got ourself in the way. And it was nothing but self-motivation, self-grandizement. 
We just find, well, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing it today. Guess what category that's going in? You still with me? Is this good or what? It's the reality of Scripture. All these passages coming together, giving us the privilege of grace to know this is a great day. We have opportunity today. My wife was listening to the radio. I've, I've stopped in QT this morning to get our breakfast of champions. And as I came out with my donut with sprinkles on it, my wife was much more spiritual than me in the moment. And she was listening to Christian Station, and there was a particular song on, but there was a testimony before it, and she shared with me what the young lady talked about, that a pastor had been incarcerated for two years in China. Oh, incarcerated how, you ask? He had, they dug a hole in the earth and put him in that hole for two years. And all the opportunity he had was is one little hole the top of this pit that he'd get a little bit of fresh air, uh, maybe a little bit of sunlight, and they'd poured rice through that hole enough to sustain him for two years. As he was finally being freed, some of his members were there and said, Pastor, we're so sorry you had to go through this. But what was it like? He said it was like being on a honeymoon with Jesus. Do you think that might be gold at the judgment seat of Christ? Can you imagine going that two years and fussing and complaining and feeling sorry for himself for two years and then lose it in the judgment where he'd had opportunity? You see, life takes a different perspective. I came across an old tale, but it does give us a great, great visual that I trust you'll never forget. And the old tale goes like this, that three individuals were riding on camels through the desert at night. And of course, it was extremely dark. And as they were traveling through that desert, they all at the same time heard a grand, great voice speak and say, I want you to dismount. And I want you to pick up the pebbles on the ground and the sand and put them in your pocket. When the sun comes up, you will both be happy and disappointed. They had no idea what that meant. But they did dismount and they captured the pebbles and put it in their pocket. The next morning, they couldn't hardly wait. They knew that the day was about to start. And as the sun finally was shining, they reached into their pockets and found out they weren't pebbles. They were diamonds. They were so happy that they had diamonds, but oh, if they'd only known they were diamonds, they would have filled up all their pockets. Pretty good, isn't it? That's what happens every day. Because we only pass through once. Pilgrims and sojourners, aliens. Every day there are these things that just look like pebbles, but you see at the judgment seat of Christ, they'll turn into diamonds. Or they'll just be lost altogether. I wonder how many are already in what we call eternity and thinking, I, I, I wanted to do more. Because you see, as a pastor, how many times have I been by a dying person and say, 
oh, if I just can get past this sickness, there's more I want to do. There's some things I want to do. Pastor, how many times have I heard it? Pastor, I'm going to be a better member. I'm going to start doing some things around the church. Most of those don't get the opportunity to fulfill those thoughts in that moment of perspective. You see, life takes on a different perspective when you're horizontal. That's why we're given Scripture. There's one more thing. As we talk about future, as we talk about eternity, as we talk about judgment, it's another word that Scripture uses, and we so seldom think about it, and it's the word reward. Scriptures are replete with reward, reward, reward. Even the passage we read this morning, recorded in Luke, when Jesus said, I'm going to return with the angels of glory. And I'm going to judge each one according to what they have done. Every deed. We will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. We will be rewarded. And I know the first thought goes through our mind, no, just to, to, to know that I'm in heaven, just to know to be with the Lord is everything, and it is. However, bear with me just another moment, because Scripture obviously wants us to pay close attention. We don't have to be afraid of this word reward, because if you don't embrace it, it gives room for apathy. Because far too many times, if we're not working now in a way for reward then, then we concentrate too much in this life and focus on back to retirement for these few short years. That is a wonderful place for an amen. You see, I said it just that way to really get your attention. Because far too Often we read of reward, I don't have to deal with that. Just being in heaven's enough. Or is it? Why does the scripture talk so much about reward? Even in the parables Jesus would teach, take the first one, parable of the talents. To one was given five talents, to another two, another one. And yet, when we read the entire parable... It is the one who had five that doubled that, who is rewarded then and given the one talent that the third person became apathetic about. Wow. Then he is looking for something from us. To deny self and take up our cross and follow him. Why would we take a cross and follow him if it was not but to do his will? How many believes Jesus loves everybody? How's he going to love on them if he doesn't love on them through us? Oh, my pastor, that was good. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? He's going to use your arms to embrace somebody. He's going to use your shoulder for somebody just to rest their head and weep for a while and in that moment, the Holy Spirit's whispering in the other ear, just keep your big mouth shut and let them cry on your shoulder and don't try to fix them. Just be a healing shoulder. Ooh, that was good too, Pastor. <laughs> well, what can I do? Just be there. 
Just be a listening ear. Be a hand that reaches out. All these things is exactly what Jesus would do if he was here. The wonderful part of this is he's not here. We are. You see, when you deny self, well, I'm just tired right now. I, I, don't, I don't feel like loving on somebody. Well, get over yourself. Those of you that are visiting, this is what you get. Going to keep it right there where we live. Every day, pebbles that may actually be diamonds. Maybe tomorrow you'll be thinking about that person comes in and you're like, man, they are mean and nasty and hateful, but maybe they're not a pebble. Maybe they're really a diamond. I wonder what would happen if I just smile at them. How many has experienced that? Somebody, they just, you look at somebody else, it's look, they look like they're mad at the world, right? And you smile at them and they smile back and they light up. How many has been there? Isn't that cool? Don't you just want to smile at somebody else, see if they light up too? Have you ever gone to somebody that you've already prejudged? No, nobody else prejudged it, only me. Okay. Well, let me confess to you then, I've done that. And you walk up, it's just their posture. It's just the way they're walking. It's just something about them. And you're like, my goodness. And you go up and you start talking to them, and they're delightful to talk to. And at that moment, you're feeling about this big. Because before you started talking to me, you thought, they ain't going to talk to me. Am I the only one? You bunch of hypocrites, raise your hand. Scriptures give us five crowns that can be awarded. The first one's the victor's crown. Everybody can achieve this crown. And it's simply the crown of self-discipline. And it goes back to denying self and following him. The more that we do it, the better at it we get. And just like, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're about to do, but I felt that. How many ever gets that thing in your gut and you just know it's the Holy Ghost? Or you just get that passing thought and you just know, uh, I know he's, I know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow through. The victor's crown goes to those who allow the spirit to do its work and bring fruit of self-discipline out of us, temperance out of us. Of going through life, of learning to say no to the things that we can say no to and should say no to. Well, everybody else is doing it, but the Holy Spirit says no, so I'm going to say no. There's a crown awarded for that. And then there's the crown of rejoicing. And this goes back to what we typically call the soul winner's crown. Every one of us can earn this crown to have been a part. And I, I firmly believe it's not just for those who had the privilege of praying with someone as they say, yes, I now believe. I also believe this is to those that says, but I believe in the work of the gospel and I'm going to share the good news with somebody and I'm the one that sows the seed and I'm the one that comes along and it was mom that sowed the seed, but I can put a little more water on the seed as the sunshine of his glory shines in our life and somewhere down the road we hear of that they true give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and then we realize in that process, I got to play a part. There's a crown for that. There's a crown of righteousness. Paul describes this. 
He said, I know my time's up and it's not a retirement. I'm getting ready to go into eternity. My departure's at hand. But there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not only to me, but to all those who look and long for his return. I love this crown. It's the crown of anticipation. It's the crown that reads about heaven and says, one day, that's my retirement. That's my future. That's where I'm going to be. And I'm making plans now to be there. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and my name's on one of them rooms, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm making plans for it. I'm working toward it, and I'm investing wisely. Woo, come on, somebody. There's a crown of righteousness for that. Who knew? A crown of righteousness who look. You know what psychologists say about anticipation? It is the one emotion that has the greatest healing powers. I like that wording. To look forward to something. Can you remember that time you were looking so forward to that first kiss from that special person? The birth of that child. I just can't wait to see him face to face. Moms, how many moms I got here? Nine months of this stuff. And all of a sudden, but I'm looking forward to the time when I get to hold that little thing, not in my womb, but in my arms. Can I have a witness in the house? The anticipation of saying, I don't like what I'm going through right now, but it's going to be worth it all because I'm investing in something I'm going to enjoy and enjoy. Oh, I could go on about this anticipation. But to the believer, on our worst of days in this journey, just remember, I'm looking for his return because Jesus said he's coming again and he's coming with reward with him. He actually said he is the reward. I'm looking forward to that. That's a crown of righteousness, the crown of life. All the things we talk about of trial and temptation, there's a crown for that. See, we're so used to hearing there's an app for that. But there's crowns for this stuff. There's crowns for this stuff. The crown of life. Those of you going through trial right now, remind yourself it can turn golden and it can be a part of that crown. I wonder, Sister Langdon, that crown of life, thinking of that pastor that was in a hole for two years, will these all be generic crowns? They all look the same? I don't think so. I think they'll be jeweled out according to. Woo, come on, somebody. I've often said to my wife, when, when you get to heaven and you see this lady walking around like this, because the crowns are so heavy on her head, it's her. She's been a pastor's daughter and a pastor's wife in one lifetime. That's enough for anybody, isn't it? I know what some of you are thinking. She's been married to me for over 40 years. My God, that's enough to get the biggest crown in heaven, right? <laughs> I know what you were thinking. Crown of life. Again, why did he share these things with us? Why did he talk about reward? Because it helps us in the now. Amen. When I'm being tempted and I want to say yes, but I know i got to say no, there's a crown awaiting me if I'll just say discipline and say no to that temptation now. Because it's going to be worth it all. 
I want that crown to be jeweled out. And then there's the crown of glory. The crown of glory that awaits. The crown of glory that's for shepherds. I don't think it's just for professional pastors. I think it's for those that have been Sunday school teachers and children's church workers and those who've been in nursing home ministries and those who just learned how to shepherd their neighbor and walk with them and care for them. Learning how to shepherd somebody else, not thinking of yourself all the time, but taking somebody else along, caring for them, bearing their burdens. How many knows that these crowns are ahead of us? And they will come at the judgment seat of Christ. Scriptures tell us in Revelation chapter 4 that ultimately we will stand before him and we get that great picture of worship in Scripture. In the heavenlies, when the 24 elders bow down and start casting their crowns and the seraphim are there and, oh my goodness, all the worship going on. And it just keeps over and over and over these four creatures with eyes everywhere and six wings just coming. And every time they make a dive bomb into the presence of the Lord again, then everybody erupts in praise again. And then you see them casting their crowns again and again and again and again. I'll finish with this today. There's a story I read so many years ago. I went back and found it again. It kind of sums it up. Several years ago, a couple had given their life to missions work. Many of you have probably read some of the devotions from Henry C. Morrison. Henry C. Morrison and his wife served on the continent of Africa for 40 years. At the end of that, they were retiring and coming back to the States. And as they were coming in to New York Harbor, it hit them. What are we going to do now? We've been doing this so long. We have no pension. We have no retirement. We've given everything that we had away. We have nothing to show for it. We're still alive. Who will care for us? It just so happened on that ship that the president of the United States was also on that ship, Theodore Roosevelt. As they were going through the concourse to get off that great ship, there was a great crowd there for the president, and they were cheering the president. There was nobody looking for the Morrisons. The president had gone to Africa to hunt big game, and here they were cheering him because he was coming back from his hunt. He had his entourage with him, but these two that had given their life for the gospel, there was nobody there. Well, the feeling you're feeling right now, they also had. Their testimony was very candid and open and honest. They found a, a room to rent on the east side in the impoverished area. And it really was bothering Henry more than his wife. And he was very verbal to her about it. Forty years. Forty years. There's nobody here to wait on us. Nobody cares. Was it all in vain? There was no ticker tape parade, nobody looking for us. The news is not going to talk about our work. They're going to talk about the president coming back on that ship. They'll never know our name. Mrs. Morrison 
said, honey, why don't, you, why don't you go back in the bedroom back here and tell God about it? Tell him how you feel. I mean, get it out there. Just tell him how, how disappointed you are. He said, you know what? I, I will. I will. I've talked to him about everything else, every other emotion. But I'm struggling right now. I'm hurting and I'm, I'm mad. And he went back to the bedroom and he prayed and he told God exactly how he felt. After some time, he came back out. Mrs. Morrison said, well, did you hear from the Lord? He said, I did. I did. What did he say to you? He said, you're not home yet. Would you stand with me?